0: Hello, everyone. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus, and uh, I struggle with fear, selfishness, bitterness. My name is Josh, and I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here. I love being here on Friday night and just being with you guys. And um, man, this is this is awesome. Thank you so much for being here tonight. We, I, before I was going, I want to thank Tammy and the band for that wonderful worship time. That was awesome. Thank you so much. I love our worship on Friday nights. Hey, um, tonight we're on one of my favorite lessons. Probably my, sec- my first favorite lesson is grace. I love talking about God's grace, but this is right there with it. We're going to talk about hope tonight. Is that okay? Let's talk about some hope. Okay. When you walked in the door, you should have got a uh, handout. It says Friday night at SHBC, but you can see uh, towards the middle, bottom half there, the hope lesson from the step study. So when you take a step study... Uh, This is the hope lesson that you do in the step study, and it is fantastic. And then on the other side, you got this note-taking section, so if you want to take extra notes tonight, that is there for you. So we're going to get into this hope lesson, but before we do, I have a question for you, okay? How many of you have ever experienced a song getting stuck in your head? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I see lots of hands up. It's actually a a pretty common thing that that happens. Sometimes it can be a very annoying song. Uh, I, I think about during Christmas time, Grandma got run over by a reindeer. I can't stand that song, but when it comes on the radio, I start singing it, and I, I can't, And when it's done, I keep singing it because it's stuck in my head. I think of another annoying song to me. You probably like it, but Let It Go from Frozen. I mean, I, I heard it so many times that I just want it to go away, you know, so, it, but it gets stuck in my head. But a lot of times when a song gets stuck in your head, it's because you like the beat or you like some of the lyrics or it's because uh, it reminds you of an era that you miss? How many of you like 80s music? Really? A lot of you like 80s music? Okay, let me do a quick test on you, okay? I'm going to s- sing a part of a chorus. If you know it, you sing it back. You ready? You, are you game? Don't leave me hanging up here because I can't sing. All right. Whoa, we're halfway there. Take my hand, I will make it, I swear. Oh, oh damn it on the prayer. Yeah, the 80s music, right? Alright. Alright, hey, hang on. Do not tell Hess I did that in church, okay? Or I'll be living on a prayer, okay? So no, just, just keep that quiet. Alright. Anyway, yeah, 80s music brings some sort of positive vibe in me. I, I don't know. I I love I maybe mean, I grew up in the 80s and stuff, so I I love that, but. Yeah, I mean, it it really is a phenomenon songs getting stuck in your head. I mean, on Spotify, if you do Spotify, there's actually a playlist called Songs That Get Stuck in Your Head. You can Google Songs That Get Stuck in Your Head, and you'll see a great list that you know it's a fun list to look at. Did you even see articles that scientifically explain that it happens, that songs really do get stuck? In our head, and where I'm going with this is that spiritually, in the spiritual world, God wants something stuck in your head. Not, not just really stuck in your head, but actually stuck in your heart. And that is, you matter to God, He loves you. You know what I'm saying? Okay, I mean, it is possible that he lo- you matter so much to God, you, you, won't even, you wouldn't even imagine how much you matter to God. And where I'm getting this is. Principle 2 of recovery that we read every Friday night. I think we going to have it on the screen. But Principle 2 says, Earnestly believe that God exists, that I what? I "I I matter to him. And that he has the power to help me recover. You and I matter so much to God that he'll never stop loving you. He'll never stop working in your life. He will never, ever leave you. That's so why we have hope. And what I want to do with our time tonight is really flush out what that is, you and I matter to him. What is it really based upon? And then bring out even some more in-depth meaning to you and I mattering to God, okay? And to do that, we're going to look at something Jesus said. And it's found in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18. It's called the Great Commission. Jesus has died on the cross. He's rose from the dead. And he's with his disciples. He's about to ascend to the Father. But he has this to say to his disciples before he goes to the Father. Jesus says this. Then Jesus came to his disciples, them, and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Part of principle two says, and that he has the power to help me recover. Remember that? Jesus tells his people, I have all authority. And when he's speaking to the disciples there, the disciples already knew he had a whole lot of power. They already already knew that he had the authority to forgive sins, to heal diseases to cast out demons, to calm storms, to raise people from the dead. He himself has been risen from the dead. They watched him die on the cross, and then later on they're having breakfast with him on the beach. They know he has a lot of power, but before Jesus goes up to the Father, he says, whatever power you think I have, I don't just have a whole lot of it, I have all of it. Like, all authority means there are no hindrances to his power. He has no limits to his power and rule. He is the highest power. What are you believing he can't do in your life? What are you believing he can't do? Break you free from some situation or circumstance or or bondage? You don't think he can change you? He has all power. There is nothing you can turn to that has that much power. He has it all has the power to help me recover it's such a principle to verse to me. And because he has all authority, whatever he says next, we got to bow down and submit to. Here's what he says next. Therefore, go live this life under his authority and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, And the Son and the Holy Spirit, in other words, live for something besides you. Live for bigger purposes. That's more of a Principle 8 verse right there. But what he says next, I want to camp out on because it has a lot to do with Principle 2. This is what Jesus says after that. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I want to camp out. There. Um, I want to start with this sentence here in teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus just said, I want you to go and make disciples. And part of making disciples is to teach them everything I have commanded you. Now, I want you to think about everything Christ has commanded his disciples. He commanded things like not to lust after another person, not to judge. He commanded things like seek first his kingdom. He commanded things to worry not, to fear not, to let your yes be yes and your no be no. He has commanded things like to die to yourself. He has commanded a whole host of things. He has commanded you to love one another just as he has loved you. He has commanded a whole lot of things. Now, I've got a question for you, and I think I'm in a room full of real people. I'm going to go ahead and warn you right now. Please do not raise your hand on this question. It's not going to go well. Somebody's going to raise their hand just to spite me. Yeah. How many of you are obeying everything Christ has commanded? Oh, thank you, Jesus. I was afraid someone was going to raise their hand. Of course you have not. None of us are. I'm not. I fail him a whole lot. I do not obey everything he has commanded. And sometimes, because we fail, because we fall short, we start to think, oh my gosh, God is disappointed in me. God doesn't really love me. I really must not, must not much matter to God because I can't keep his commandments and, and blah, blah, blah. But here's the great irony of that. If I were to raise my hand, and say, I'm obeying everything Christ has commanded. Do you know what would happen? Yes, you would call me a liar. Yeah, lightning might strike me as well. You might as well call Hess and tell him to fire me. You, I should not be your pastor. I, I should not be, you know, I, I, you wouldn't follow me or listen to me. If I were to raise my hand and say, I'm obeying everything Christ has commanded, you know what the last thing I would be doing is? is actually making disciples. I would be turning people off to Christianity. We're in this thing called recovery. It, it's, it's called uh, an ongoing maturing process. And in that process, yes, I seek to do everything he has commanded. But when I mess up, and I do often, when I mess up, I repent or I confess the sin. I learn from my mistakes. I want to do everything, but what I don't let my failures do is to keep me from thinking that I matter to God. I never let it destroy the truth that I matter to God. I never let it destroy my faith. What that boils down to is you and I marrying to God is not based on our performance. You and I marrying to God is, has nothing to do if I'm killing it and obeying everything he has commanded. You and I marrying to God is based on who he is and what he's done. And I want to really camp out there for just a little bit more time. Because nothing will limit your spiritual growth more. Nothing will limit your discipleship and and, and making more disciples more than this idea that you have to have it all together. I don't know how church became a place uh, where people had to have it all together. That's the last thing church should be. God doesn't call you to have it all together. He calls you to trust him. That's what he calls you to do. He calls calls you to trust him more and more that everything he has commanded is how you thrive. Trust him that what he says about money, what he says about how to handle your relationships, what he says about how to handle your time, what he says about how to handle your thought life, how to do work, All these things he has commanded, that is what's best for you, and that's how you thrive. He wants you to trust that, to learn that. That's what being a disciple means. It means to learn, to grow. That's what being a disciple means. It has nothing to do with legalism, self-righteousness, or perfectionism. None of that. It is a process where you matter to God all throughout the process. Nothing ever changes that. And not only do you matter to him throughout the whole process, you know what Jesus just said here? He is with you every step of the process. Jesus says in, in the last part of Matthew 28, 20, and you can go ahead and go to the very last slide because I want to highlight the in the, uh, surely part. Jesus says in surely. You know what surely means? It means I want you to assure yourselves of this. In other words, I want this stuck in your mind and heart. I want this stuck in your mind and your heart. I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you always and forever. Reminds me of a 90s song that used to get stuck in my head. I won't sing it. I won't sing it. I love you always, forever, forever, near and far, closer together, everywhere I will be with you. Remember that song? Yeah. That's Jesus say what he said, everywhere I will be with you. That's what he's saying here. It's a great and precious promise. And I love this is the last verse in Matthew, by the way. And I love how Matthew is framed and how it's booking. in Matthew chapter one. We learned that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Last chapter, last verse, the way that Matthew is booking it. Not only is he God with us, he is God with us always. Yeah. That's the gospel. That's why we have hope. It is so ironic because in the last chapter of Matthew, last verse, Jesus is about to leave them. But the Spirit has come upon you and is living in you. He is with you. Jesus says, I am with you. You know what this word with means? It means Relationship. There's a part where, I think it's in Mark three fourteen where Jesus appointed his disciples and he appointed them to be with him, it says. And with him means relationship. Jesus said, I'm going to be involved in your life, and you're going to be involved in mine. We're going to have intimacy. We're going to have closeness. He's not distant. He is with you. And, and this word with, it means every part of Jesus is with you. It's not like, well, I have a piece of Jesus, and you have a piece of Jesus, and You know, part of him is with you and part of him is with me. No, no, every aspect of Jesus, his goodness, his love, his power is with you. He is fully with you. You don't really have to go searching for it. He's with you right now. You don't have to earn, you don't have to perform, you don't have to wonder where he is, you don't have to, you know, like I said, search frantically for it. I don't know why this is happening to me at the age I am, but it's starting to happen to me more. But there are times where, where I lose something like my keys and I can't find them. And I'll go searching frantically in the home for my keys and I start to get ticked off at my wife. I'm like, where are my keys? What did you do with them? You know, and or my son. And that my wife and son both know at home, they both know to say first, have you checked your pockets? <laughs> Cause a lot of times I have a jacket on. And maybe the the keys are right there in my my pockets of my jacket. And I'm like, that gunman had it with me the whole time. (laughs) Spiritually, you have him on you the whole time. You don't have to let emotions get the best of you, you don't have to search frantically for it. Again, you don't have to perform or earn for it or do anything. He is on you, with you the whole time. It is so beautiful. And I love this word. Not only does he say, is he with us, but he says he's with us always. Always. Somehow we get into this thinking, thinking no, he's with me when I'm at church. Or he's with me when I'm praying. Or he's with me when I'm reading the Bible. Let me tell you something. He is with you every second of every minute, every hour of every day. Do you you understand that? There is no other relationship like this. Our our, our hearts really, they yearn for God and God's heart pounds for us. And and it's the only relationship like this. And, And we can compare it to our most intense relationships, which is probably with our spouse and with our kids. And let's start with your kids. I'm sure you intensely and ferociously love your kids. But there comes a time, even with your kids, where you're like, you need to go to your grandma's house. <laughs> I need some me time. A- am I lying? No. no. Like, you want to wait for you from you a while. I, I think about even my spouse. If I went to my spouse, Leslie, and said, I'm going to be with you every moment, every second of every day. How do you think that's going to go for me? Yeah, she, no, it's not going to go well for you, I promise. She would grow weary of me. I would grow weary of her, actually. We both, we both need me time. It's, it's actually a healthy thing. But this relationship with God is different. He never, ever grows weary of you. He doesn't need me time away from you. And it always means that you can't do anything to change this position of him being with you always. Like, you can't do something so good to draw him closer. And you can't do something so bad to draw him away from you. you, you he's just with you always. You can't change his position. He's never going to put AirPods on and start listening to 80s music so he has have to listen to you. <laughs> he's never going to open up a magazine and, and just like, I'm going to look at this and not you, Right? He's never going to give you the hand or the cold shoulder. He is just with you always, always in the good, the bad, and the ugly. Nothing you can do. And I got to tell you, probably about the past three to five years, this has been such a valuable lesson for me. Because in the bad, and I'll tell you one of the bad is, is, I don't know if you've ever struggled with this but if you've ever struggled with bitterness or resentment, like someone who has hurt you and that's just kind of stuck in your head, stuck in your heart, and it's so stuck in your head and your heart that you're rehashing it and you're going over and over and you're analyzing it and you're processing it and you're having all these mean conversations in your mind where you win and they lose and, you are you know, those fantasies, all those things. And it's just what's stuck in your head and your heart. But it starts to get dark after a while. And what I mean by that, it, gets, it starts to get dark when you think, you know what, where are you, God. Where is, your, where is your power? Why aren't you changing things? And it can get really, really dark. Has anyone ever been there? I mean, it, it happens. And if that's you tonight, I want to encourage you that God is with you even in your darkest moments. Even when you're doubting. Even when you're questioning him. He is with you. Always. He'll never give up on you. We call it God's faithfulness to you. He'll never give up on you. and I encourage you to never give up on him. But sometimes it can get really, really ugly. And it's not that I can't handle it. It can get to where I can't even bear it any longer. You ever been there? Not only can I not handle it. I can't even. Bear it. And when you get, get to that point, boy, the temptations come strong to turn your back on God, or to compromise your values, to do something that hurts you, to do something that hurts others. And, and I just want to remind you if that's you tonight, I want to remind you of principle two again that earnestly believe that God exists, that you matter to Him. And that he has the power to help you recover. Because see, principle one was I can't. I'm powerless. I, I, I can't handle it. I, I can't bear it. But the reason there's hope, the reason hope is the first lesson of principle two is because he can handle it and he can bear it. Yeah. And he is so with you that he has... Plenty of supply whatever you need to get through the situation, to bear the situation. I think about the apostle Paul, who said in Philippians 4:12, he says, I have learned the secret of being content. In other words, I have learned how to have this inner poise, to have, how to have this inner composure. And, and we're all thinking, What is the secret, Paul? I have learned the secret of contentment, whether in plenty or in want. Whether in good times or in bad times, I've learned it. And he says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul knew that Christ was with him. Paul knew that the strength of Christ was with him, that the power of Christ was with him, and that Christ had plenty of supply of whatever he needed to get through the trials and the tribulations he was going through. In fact, Paul would later say in Philippians four nineteen, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so my prayer for you and my prayer for me is that we too learn that. That we too become disciples that that learn that and grow in that. And that we too trust more and more and more that him being with us always makes a difference right now. And that we grow in our awareness that we matter to God. And he is with us always. And he has whatever we need to get through the situation. You know, the scripture invites us into this relationship with God where we magnify the Lord. The Psalms will say, oh, magnify the Lord. Make great the Lord. But what that means is magnify the Lord in your heart and in your mind. Become more and more aware of his presence. Sometimes we're, we magnify the hurt, or we magnify the sin, or we magnify our past, or we magnify our failures, or we magnify the, 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 the hurts we've caused. We magnify it, we magnify it, and scripture says, No, 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 no. I want you to magnify the Lord. Inundate him. Let him be what's stuck in your mind and in your heart. I'm gonna call the band back up. And uh, we're going to go into what we call the blue chip ceremony. And the blue chip ceremony is a, really an invitation that we do after every teaching, every testimony. If you're new here tonight, it's what we do. And it really is just a marker. There's no magic in it. It's just a marker, first and foremost, of surrender. So if you're here tonight and you're willing to say, you know what, I surrender my life and my will to Christ's care and control. I'm going to give my life to Christ. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior. And let this blue chip remind you of that. Or maybe it's just an area of life, an area where you really do feel in bondage and you feel like you're taking matters into your own hands. Surrender that area of life to Christ tonight. But I want to talk about two more things. The E in the hope acrostic when you do the step study stands for expect to change. And I don't know, over the past month or so, I've had conversation after conversation after conversation of people who do not expect to change. How can you not expect to change when you matter so much to God and He has all authority? There are no limits to His power, no hindrances to His power, and He is with you. How can you not expect to change? And so what maybe this blue chip represents for some of you is just a reminder. When I look at that and I get down in the darks and I start downing, I'm going to remember I expect to change because he is with me. And maybe for some of you what this blue chip represents or reminds you to do is to magnify the Lord. Because I don't know about you, I am so good at magnifying other things, especially when someone ticks me off, I'll magnify it. But it's time to stop and receive the invitation God gives us and magnify Him in our hearts and our minds that He gets stuck in our minds and our hearts. So maybe this represents that to you to magnify the Lord. What can I do to magnify the Lord? I can worship Him. I can sing, I can open up the word, I can pray, I can call my sponsor, I can come to a meeting, I can go to the church, there's so many things we can do to participate in magnifying the Lord. And when I look at this, I'm gonna magnify the Lord. That's what I was called to do. I'm gonna make him great in my mind and in my heart. So whatever your decision is, this prayer altar is open, if you wanna come and pray about anything, any situation, you're praying to the God who has all authority. Pray to them if that's what you need to do tonight. Or come and pick up blue chip. men. you pick up chips for men and women for women. We'll be here. Let's worship. Let's start by standing and singing. You do as the Lord leads.